This is Dress Codes, stories of independence and style, a show from New Balance and Gimlet Creative. I'm Emily Spivak, and this is Olympian Emma Coburn. The uniform is truly the only thing that is special to the race and sacred for the race. So it feels like when I put that on, it must mean that I'm ready to go. It must mean that this is war, this is what I've been working for and what I've been training for, and it's time to go show it. Emma's talking about her race day uniform. It transforms her from someone with pre-race jitters to an Olympic track star. We all have things that, when we wear them, make us feel prepared to take on the world. For me, it's my gold nameplate necklace. My parents gave it to me when I was four, and I rediscovered it a few years ago. It says Emily in blocky capital letters, and it's on this delicate chain. I don't ever take it off. It feels like it represents me perfectly, like if I was wearing a brown paper bag, but I had on this necklace, I'd be okay. What we wear can complete us. Our clothes, our shoes, our jewelry, it can become our armor, protecting and preparing us for obstacles ahead. Today on Dress Codes, we're mixing it up. Style is armor in three different ways. First up, Olympic athlete Emma Coburn. Emma runs the steeplechase, a 3,000-meter race featuring hurdles and water jumps. Off the track, she's a jeans and t-shirt kind of person. On race day, that all changes. Inside Emma's dresser is her armor a lightweight, sleeveless crop top and matching buns, which are those tiny skin-tight bottoms that runners often wear. Emma first encountered that pro-style uniform in college when she and a teammate were training for the Olympic trials. Our coach said, well, you're going to be racing a lot of professionals and they wear those crop tops, so would you like to go to the seamstress and make your college uniform look like the pros? And so me and my teammate went and took our college uniforms that didn't show any skin and they were full tank tops that hit your waistband. And we went to the seamstress and got them cut into crop tops. And so we looked like the rest of the pros out there. And that's an example of really just changing your uniform to make you fit the setting more and make you have the confidence and dress the part. We did great. We both made the Olympic team, and we stood on that starting line, and we looked like we belonged. At those Olympics in 2012, Emma came in eighth. And by the 2016 Olympics in Rio, she was a seasoned pro, determined to do even better. So on race day, Emma arrived at the track wearing the U.S. women's track uniform, a two-tone blue crop top with buns. I stood on the starting line, and took a couple deep breaths and closed my eyes. As soon as that gun went off, I just said, all right, here we go. And I just snapped into racing mode. I was in fourth place for most of the race, and I was about 10 or 15 seconds behind third place. And then I remember, you know, said to myself, fourth place in the world, Emma, that's not bad, that's good, you should be happy. And then as soon as that thought finished, I was like, no, I'm not getting fourth, I'm going to get third. And I was able to finish in third and win the bronze medal. 
you do a victory lap and you throw the flag over your head. And when I got to do that, more so than crossing the finish line, more so than standing on the podium, that moment was special. And that's the moment that brought me to tears. And then you see strangers that are cheering for you and people are yelling your name and they're so proud of you because they don't know you, but you have an American flag on your chest and they're proud of that. Emma Coburn became the first American woman ever to win an Olympic medal in the 3,000-meter steeplechase. And today, she's training for the 2019 U.S. Championships and preparing for the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. Next up, Jenny Britton-Bauer, the founder of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. Jenny started her company with a single ice cream stand in Columbus, Ohio. And today, it's a full-on empire, with stores and distribution throughout the U.S. She's known for flavors like sweet corn with black raspberries and goat cheese with red cherries. She's also won a James Beard Award for her first cookbook, and she's been named one of the most creative people in business by Fast Company. The question I get asked probably more than any other question is, gosh, did you ever think that you would be here? And your answer to that always is, well, how do you think we did it? <laughs> like, how, do you think that it was an accident? But people really do think that it was like that women just automatically, obviously want to stay small and quaint. It's just so not the way that women I know think. Like her Aunt Linda, a no-nonsense woman who sold trucks for a living. My aunt, Linda, she's always had bleached white blonde hair and bright red lips. And early in my life, probably at some point in my first business, I was having a conversation with her and I asked her for some advice. And she said, Jenny, you just have to be a soft-edged bitch. And I was like, all right, great. It was her aunt, Linda, who taught her that style can be armor. For Jenny, the epitome of this is her uniform a crisp white Oxford shirt that she wears nearly every day in the kitchen at work. But it took her a while to find that uniform. Before Jenny transformed the artisanal ice cream landscape, she was an art student obsessed with scents and flavors. She left art school to open an ice cream stand called Scream at a local market, but she kept her art school style. I had pink hair, and I would wear these vintage dresses and vintage aprons and kind of quirky outfits. This was the late 90s, and Jenny was selling small-batch, limited-run, experimental ice cream. And it was a tough business. On its worst day, Scream only made $3. After a few years, Jenny closed the business. She decided that if she wanted to make a living making ice cream— she needed to get serious. She attended ice cream school at Penn State, which is a thing, came up with a business plan, took out bank loans, and in 2002, she opened Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. When I opened Jenny's um, versus my first business, Scream, I wanted to take emphasis off of me, but also I wanted to look and be the part of how I felt, which was, I'm here to, to make this work. I'm professional. I had been through a failure, and I wanted to make sure that I could get into character that I needed to get into every day, where I was just ready for business, that I would open my doors, that I'd had the ice cream ready, and I was ready to go. And when I 
decided I was going to do that, I started to look for, well, what does that look like? And Julia Child was like my first thought. This is Julia Child. Welcome to this volume of our video from quick and easy sautés to a very special roast duck. She did it so well. She was professional. She wasn't wearing a chef jacket. I didn't really want to wear a chef jacket. I thought that was kind of cheesy. And so that was how I found um, the white Oxford. And I almost always wear it all the way buttoned up with an apron, sort of in a similar way. I always roll it up above my elbow. It's a heavier fabric, button-down shirt with a collar, and it does really well in the wash and whatever you need to get ice cream out of it, so it's kind of a perfect shirt for all that. She opened her new shop in the same market where she started her first ice cream stand. And while she kept experimenting with flavors, she also made sure to keep her customers' favorites in stock. This time around, the reception was totally different. The food critics who kind of had ignored me, have ignored me, or even just flat out didn't like what I was doing before, came in and gave it a, a different view. They saw it as a more professional business operation and loved the ice creams. I was now projecting that I care deeply about ice cream, which I did, and that I cared deeply about what their experience was, which I also did. And that made all the difference, I think, in my business. The very first night Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams opened, there were lines down the block. And they never really went away. By 2014, Jenny's had about $25 million in annual sales. Her business was booming, her ice cream was winning awards, and she wrote two top-selling cookbooks. But in 2015, she faced one of the biggest challenges of her career. A health inspector found listeria in a single pint of Jenny's dark chocolate ice cream. Jenny and her team had to make a tough decision and recall $2.5 million worth of product. To prepare, she took off her white Oxford shirt and put on another piece of armor. I came in on the day of the recall dressed as Athena, (laughs) the, the goddess. Like, like literally? Uh-huh. It was like a gauzy dress. And, you know, Athena's so cool. She's always been my sort of patron goddess because she's the goddess of, like, craft and art and civilization, civility, and all of the conversation, but also skill and warfare. And so I was channeling this, like, all right, this is the time that we need to use all of these, like, Athena skills to do something magical. What I project to the world is often I'm wearing something that's helping me get there. And I think that that's where it helped is just me feeling the strength to do it. And I think that's where it then helped the team. While the stores were closed, Jenny's fans filled the storefront windows with notes of encouragement. Her team was able to fix the source of the contamination and not a single person got sick. One month later, Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams reopened their doors. These days, business is stronger than ever, and being ready for battle is part of the job. I feel like that's the thing you get good at as a founder, is putting out fires and getting back up and being battled and bloodied and being in the arena every day and taking criticism and moving forward anyway. Jenny and track star Emma Coburn are doing very different things with their lives, but they share a common thread. 
Intentionally or not, their clothing has become a crucial tool for them to feel prepared to take on the world. In my book, Worn in New York, I wrote, the only thing between our skin and the city is our clothing, simultaneously shielding and exposing us. Our bodies press against our clothes just as the city presses back. This is Broadway, Lafayette Street. Our producers went out on the streets of New York to ask folks, what do you wear when you need to take on the world? My armor. Um, my armor is... And the piece of clothing that is my armor is... Well, this shirt I got um, from a training center over for the union that I work for. And for some reason, when everyone sees me in this shirt, they just say that I look more powerful. My pastel-colored hair. Last time, it was like a neon green with pinks, fading into peaches. And right now, it's all faded, and I'm feeling pretty vulnerable. Uh, you have a few minutes to talk about clothes with us? <laughs> yeah. We met Stacy. She told us about the ring she wears on her right ring finger that was her great-grandmother's. And I've been wearing it since I was 13 or 14 years old, and I've, I've never taken it off. I never really got to know my great-grandmother that much, so I felt a closeness with her that, you know, I probably wouldn't have had if I didn't have the ring on. If I feel like I'm in kind of an uncomfortable situation, I'm, I might play with it and fiddle with it, and that kind of, like, it kind of takes my mind off of whatever's going on. There's also Dee. He was wearing jeans covered with patches and small abstract drawings. I even got holes from where my dog grabbed the ball that was in my pocket. And then once I started wearing them, I started painting in them. I started playing basketball in them. I started walking in them. I started doing all sorts of things in them. I'm an artist. So these jeans are just, it's like skin. So now I'm more comfortable in my skin. We met Marina, whose armor is a well-worn sweatshirt. I have a sweatshirt that was my dad's, maybe, I don't know, in the 90s, um, that now I have claimed as my own. I wear it whenever I'm feeling kind of down and need to feel just cozy or better or at home or connected to family. My dad is a wonderful person. He's actually an immigrant, so he came here from Hungary um, in the 80s. And he's an auto mechanic, hard worker, and someone who just loves me unconditionally and always is talking about how proud he is of me. It just, it's almost like home, I think, that, that that sweatshirt represents. And we heard from quite a few people who said jumpsuits are their armor. Jumpsuits. A wide array of denim jumpsuits. Linen jumpsuit. Like a silk jumpsuit. A wool jumpsuit. Something about a jumpsuit. Even though you can't pee very easily in them. Oh yes, jumpsuits. I have quite a few. They're so easy to wear. My favorite one is emerald green with more pockets than I could ever use. I got it in Japan at a workwear store and whenever I put it on, I'm reminded of that trip. What items from your life are your armor? Use the hashtag MyDressCode and let us know. Next time on Dress Codes. A pair of cutoffs, a preppy vest, and a very crop top. We meet comedian Joel Kim Booster. I got on stage and the stage manager was like, is that what you're wearing? And I looked her dead in the eyes and I was like, 
Yeah. Is that okay? Dress Codes is a production of Gimlet Creative and New Balance. Our website is gimletcreative.com slash dresscodes. Subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is produced by James T. Green, Emily Foreman, and Carrie Ann Thomas. Abby Ruzica is our senior producer. Sarah Geis is our editor. Music and mixing by Marcus Bagala with help from Katherine Anderson. Special thanks to Max Gibson and the Julia Child Foundation. I'm Emily Spivak, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at mspivak. That's E-M-S-P-I-V-A-C-K. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Hold up. 